the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, we also know from secular history that at this time in history, Xerxes was planning to invade Greece. In preparation for this invasion, he brought together all the leaders from all the 127 provinces to prepare for war. And much of what he must have been doing was impressing them. He wanted to fill them with confidence. He wanted to show off all that he had to kind of inspire them and uh, encouraged them with his great leadership. So he held a six-month party, a six-month feast to plan for the invasion to show off his his wealth and and power. It's kind of a continual smorgasbord for 180 days, basically what it is. A self-centered, arrogant, pagan king holds an extravagant six-month feast to impress a bunch of other important people. That was followed by a drinking party that lasted seven days. Surely nothing good can come from that, or can it? Welcome back to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Steve Kreloff is our teacher, and he has recently begun a series of messages on the book of Esther, and will be continuing that study today. The party that King Xerxes threw at the opening of the book of Esther is the kind of thing we would have to call a recipe for disaster. It just doesn't seem possible to have so much self-indulgence for such a long period of time without having some kind of problem. So when we read that the king did something unwise at the party, it comes as no surprise to us. Still, God had a plan for it all. Let's listen as Pastor Steve explains. When God wants to accomplish something, you can be very assured that it will be accomplished, right? The most common way that God accomplishes his will is through what we call providence. Providence. Someone has defined providence this way. They said providence is God at the steering wheel of the universe. It is the way God coaches the man who's on second base. Providence means that God is behind the scenes, shifting and directing the happenings of the world. I think a good New Testament verse that... uh, that basically says this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes that it is God who uh, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. God is a God who works all things after the counsel of his will. And that's providence. God invisibly working behind the scenes to bring everything into conformity to his will. If you want to understand what God is doing 
in the world today in terms of, of world events, then you've got to understand that he works primarily by providence, not supernatural miracles, not the uh, intervening into the normal course of, of nature, but by the ordinary, by the common day things that God invisibly works behind the scenes. History confirms that this is the way that God directs the affairs of men. He doesn't violate man's will. He doesn't interrupt the ordinary flow of human affairs. Yet he is guiding history in such a way that he is always bringing about his predetermined plan. Just a brief look at history confirms that fact that God runs the world through providence. Let me give you a little history lesson. Daniel predicted in in Daniel chapter 8 that the center of world power would shift from the east to the west, meaning it would shift from Persia to Greece. But Persia at that time had 300 vessels on the seas, 300 ships. Now that, that is a lot, especially in that day and age. There was nobody who could compare with Persia. Greece was no match for this many vessels, though they were strong and on the uprise they were no match for Persia on the waters. But God was. The Lord sent a storm that destroyed those 300 boats, and Persia was defeated, and ultimately Greece rose in power. Now, a single storm was the way that God accomplished his plan of Greece and the West reigning over the world. That one storm changed the entire destiny of man. The world was altered by one single storm. And so we are now more Western than Eastern in our culture. Just one storm, and Greece was in control of the world eventually. The Spanish were anchored off the coast of England and their whole fleet of vessels. Great Britain would have gone down in defeat many, many years ago. Except by providence, God sent another storm. Seems like the Lord works a lot through storms. And it wrecked the Spanish fleet, and England became the ruler of the seas for the next 300 years, and the world was never the same when Great Britain rose to power. God directs the affairs of men through providence. In our own nation, God has ruled through providence. When Christopher Columbus, and maybe many of you have never realized this, but Columbus was headed, when he was headed towards the Western Hemisphere, he was on direct course with either Virginia or the Carolinas. But one day he saw a uh, group of, uh, really a a group of, of pigeons in flight, and they were heading south. And so he changed course, and he headed south and followed them. You say, so what? So what? Well, had he continued to North America... We would probably be speaking Spanish today rather than than English. And more important than that, Catholicism would have reigned in this country rather than Protestantism. God had other plans for the United States of America and for Canada, and he was providentially directing the affairs of this nation. During the Revolutionary War, we know the story of Benedict Arnold, how he was a traitor and betrayed his nation. But what often is not known is that he gave the blueprints of West Point to a major Andre of the British Army. Andre was riding on horseback back to the British forces, and he came to a crossroad, a fork in the road, and he didn't know which road to take. 
without accident, God providentially directed him to take the road in which there were revolutionary soldiers who searched him, discovered the blueprints, and our country was ultimately saved from a great crisis. Now listen, if God rules over Persia, and he rules over Greece, and he rules over Spain, and he rules over Great Britain, and he rules over the United States, and every other nation that has ever lived and died or continues to live now on the face of the earth, do you think that he's going to forget the little nation of Israel? To no other nation in the face of this planet did God ever say, as he did through the prophet Zechariah, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Now, this this week, I looked up that term apple because I have an eye and I don't have an apple in it. I thought that's an, that's an odd expression. What does that mean? You know what it means? The pupil, the pupil of my eye. That would be a better way of rendering this verse. He who touches you touches the most sensitive part of my eye. The most tender, sensitive part of an eye is the pupil. It is the most demanding of protection and it needs to be carefully guarded. God says, I will watch over you. I will guard you. I will preserve you. I will keep you. I won't sleep. I won't slumber. I will watch over you and protect you as I would protect the most sensitive part of my eye. I will give you more attention than any other nation on the face of the earth because I have given you more promises. The book of Esther is the story of God's providential care over the apple of his eye, Israel. It is the story of God being true to his word, which is really what this story is about. It is not an allegory. Uh, it is not a figurative type of, of story. It is a historical story which message is that he that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is faithful to his word, and he will preserve his people, his chosen people, and he chooses to preserve them by providence, even when they're in rebellion to him, even when Israel is disobedient. And that's exactly what we have in Esther. They should not have been in the land. They should have been back, or should not have been rather in Persia. They should have been back in Israel. They were disobedient. Esther, Mordecai, we're not believers, and I went over this last, last time, reasons why we, we can show through evidence that they were not godly Jews. Courageous, yes, but not godly. How God protects his people, even when they're disobedient, how he protects them constitutes the exciting drama of this narrative. And I told you last time that the reason I believe that God's name is not mentioned once here is that while God will preserve and protect his people because of his wonderful promises and faithfulness to them, he will not identify himself with a disbelieving, unbelieving, hardened people who should have obeyed the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and gone back to the land and did not. Mordecai never mentions God. Esther never mentions God. And therefore, God, by design, leaves his name out of the book so as to show us that even when these people are disobedient, he will still preserve them because he will not violate his own word. Now, we want to look at how God providentially worked out the circumstances so that Esther, who the book is named after, would be in the right place at the right time so that she could be an instrument of God that God used to preserve his people. So tonight we want to look at the promotion of Esther. If you're entitling this message anything, call it the promotion of Esther. And, and, and has 
three basic points to hang to hang your thoughts on, just a very simple outline. We're going to look at the king's feast, the king's fury, and the king's favor. The book opens up with the scene of an incredible banquet or feast given by a Persian king, but this wasn't just any old banquet. This was not, you know, just a little party because this wasn't just any old king. Verse 1, now it took place in the days of, and we really should say Xerxes, Ahasuerus is what is in your Bible. It's really a title for the king known in secular history as Xerxes. The Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his, which was in Susa, the capital. Let's stop there for a moment. This is King Xerxes. A title is Ahasuerus. Much like Caesar was a title. There was nobody really named Caesar. Uh, Nero was called Caesar, and Augustus was called Caesar. It's a title. Ahasuerus is a title. His name was Xerxes, a famous king. Secular historians speak of, of Xerxes. And he reigned from India to Ethiopia. In other words, he cover, it covered the entire Persian Empire. At this point in history, it's probably the largest empire ever. Not necessarily the strongest. I think Babylon was stronger. I think Daniel uh, teaches that. But Pers the Persian Empire came after the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar and those other kings. Now, historians tell us that Xerxes was a cruel and a reckless man, a double-minded man. For instance, and this comes right out of secular history, and I'm just filling you in on this so you'll get a, a feel for this man who is so quick to condemn the Jewish people and so quick to dispose of his queen and so forth. Once a man offered him a huge sum of money to finance the expense of a great military campaign. Xerxes was so taken back by this man's loyalty, and, and it went in, in our equivalent would be millions of dollars, what this man offered Xerxes. He was so taken back by the loyalty of this man that he gave his money back and also a present. I don't know what else he gave, but he gave him a present for such loyalty. But a little while later, the same man appealed to King Xerxes and said, uh, don't send my son, my oldest son, would you do me this favor? Would you allow my, my oldest son to stay home so he could take care of me in my old age? That seems reasonable. And after all, Xerxes just given you back millions of dollars plus a little bit extra. Xerxes responded so uh, by, by going into such a rage that he furiously ordered the son to be cut in two pieces. And the armies of Persia marched between those two pieces. That's the kind of man that Xerxes was. He was a cruel man of extremes. But God is going to overrule. And God is going to use these extremes, even though God does not approve of them. God is going to use them to accomplish his plan. At this point in Xerxes' reign, it is his third year. Something very important is about to happen, and verses 3 and 4 tell us this. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants and army officers of Persia and Media and the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And when he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days, now, we also know from secular history that at this time in history, Xerxes was planning to invade Greece. 
In preparation for this invasion, he brought together all the leaders from all the 127 provinces to prepare for war. And much of what he must have been doing was impressing them. He wanted to fill them with confidence. He wanted to show off all that he had to kind of inspire them and uh, encourage them with his great leadership. So he held a six-month party, a six-month feast to plan for the invasion, to show off his his wealth and and power. It's kind of a continual smorgasbord for 180 days, basically what it is. Now, let me show you something exciting. Daniel predicted this. Years before, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2, we read, And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Now, they already have, have arisen at this point. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. So Xerxes is the most powerful king that Persia has ever had. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. Now, Daniel predicted that years before, and yet God is true to his word. And here now is King Xerxes, who is ready in the third year of his reign to attack Greece. But something happened the last seven days of the party, and we read in verses 5 through through 8, and when these days were completed, that is the six months, the 180 days, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Susa, the capital, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Apparently what had happened was all his military leaders were having a big feast going on for six months, but in the last seven days he probably opened it, not, not really to the whole city, but more likely to the palace. Okay, so all of the attendants could come. Everybody was included in this, from the lowest uh, people to the highest people. Verse 6, there were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry and marble and mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds And the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's liberty. And the drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion. For so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Now, probably what this is saying is that it was pretty impressive. Very impressive. And that's why the writer, and we don't know who the human writer of this was, by the way. But that's why the writer probably tells us all these gorgeous things were happening. And then the king said... Let anyone and everyone drink as much as they want to drink of wine. We know the Persians loved wine. See, under normal circumstances, the king would pledge his servants to drink only a certain amount of wine. But on this occasion, they could drink as much as they wanted. If they didn't want to drink much, they wouldn't. But from what we know of Persia, we know that they took advantage of this and they drank a lot of wine and got drunk. So you can well imagine the scene, a big feast, a big party in which most everybody is drunk. So we move from the king's feast now to the king's fury. While the king was engaged in his drunken banquet, his wife, Queen Vashti, was giving her own party to the women. Verse 9 tells us, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the place which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now, who did she give this banquet to? Well, She probably gave the banquet to the wives of the military leaders. Persian queens usually sat at the king's table to eat, but not when, uh, not always when there was great banquets. Okay, so she in another part of the palace is holding her own 
banquet, her, her women's club banquet, okay? Now picture the scene. For 180 days, Xerxes has been vainly showing off the riches of, of his kingdom to impress these men, to inspire them to go out and fight as best that they can, to impress his subordinates, to fire them up, to fill their minds with confidence, and he decides to show off his beautiful wife. And by the way, when we begin to read the names of, of his servants and the eunuchs and all, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, so bear with me. I, I'm just going to make a mess of it, but uh, that's okay. You, you understand. Verses 10 through 12 say this. On the seventh day, now that's the end of the, of the drunken party, okay? They've been drinking all that they want, and on the seventh day, the end of it, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, need I say more? The man was drunk. He commanded Mehumen, Bizda, see what I mean? Harbona, Bigda, Abiktha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Now he commanded these to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. Now, he did this while he was drunk, and it's something he probably would not have done in his right mind. He said, bring her here, and uh, she refused to come to the banquet. Why? We're not told. I have read commentaries who try to tell us what it is, but we don't know. There are some who say that, uh, speculated that the king would have had her appear naked before these men, and she just said, there's no way that I'm going to do it. We don't know, though. Let me say what I think is the best guess. What we know from the Middle East and Persia, even, even to this day, is that women are veiled. The only time they are not veiled is for their husbands. Uh, they are uh, dressed modestly. They do not appear before men without their veils and a lot of covering. And it is my speculated guess, and I think it is a proper one, that what he wanted her to do was something that just went against the grain of her culture, at least to take the veil off and to display her before these men. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. She didn't want to lose her dignity and appear before some drunken men. And yes, maybe there is a fear of what they would have done to her. We don't know, though. But for whatever reason she refused to appear, uh, what's important to the story is that she didn't appear. That's all we're told. She did not appear. And he was so furious that he dismissed her as queen. There are countless little details that have altered the course of human history. From drunken kings to sleeping guards, from flocks of flying birds to timely storms and heavy fog, it causes some to despair when they consider how often their detailed plans and energetic labors can be thwarted by so many variables. It is just such a reality that causes some people to speak of some universal fate. But the Bible teaches a very different perspective. The course of history is not shaped by random events or impersonal fate but rather by a wise and powerful God. For him, there is no such thing as an accident, a coincidence, an oversight, or an unforeseen development. 
everything unfolds under his perfect direction. Pastor, you mentioned God's use of natural disasters in accomplishing his purposes. Does this mean that the people and places that endure these are suffering God's judgment? Well, that's, uh, you know, there are a lot of Christian leaders who have in recent years gotten in trouble (laughs) uh, because they've been very quick to interpret natural catastrophes. Um, I think that's very dangerous. We know when Scripture tells us something was a natural catastrophe because of a specific judgment of God, we're on solid ground. But to just interpret hurricanes and earthquakes to say this is God's judgment on Those people, I wouldn't say that. I don't think we have any kind of authority to say that. And certainly there are countless other things that God can and does accomplish through natural disasters. I guess the real comfort comes in knowing that he does not just take his hand off nature and let it run its own random course. Thank you, Pastor Steve. In case you missed any part of today's broadcast, it is available for download at our website, versebyverseradio1word.org. Simply click on the Listen Now button at the top of the page. Previous broadcasts are also available in the audio archives. We encourage you to take advantage of this free resource of biblical teaching. We want to remind you that Verse by Verse is offering a companion resource for this series on the book of Esther. Pastor Steve has written a book entitled God's Plan for Israel, in which he reviews the teaching of scriptures concerning God's promise to always preserve that nation. The book is especially helpful to those who struggle to understand why Israel is still important today in God's eyes. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.